All right, welcome back to the podcast. I know it's been a while, and um, I just want to kind of explain. We had uh, the hurricane come through. We had some COVID uh, things happening before then, and uh, we kind of got busy uh, involved in some things that maybe took us away from the ministry, so we've kind of set those things aside, and uh, this week we're really just going to get focused back on preaching and teaching the gospel. What we're going to be talking about for probably the next 20 weeks is going to be hermeneutics specifically. I really want to touch on this because we feel like hermeneutics is where we slip so much in the church and it causes so much uh, doctrinal division as far as doctrines and creeds go. Uh, So I think this is going to help the community of Christians start to understand Scripture and how, how to interpret the Scripture uh, but the things which uh, help us to understand the Word of God, it really has to start with a good common sense in the first requirement. Uh, someone has said that if a man lacks knowledge, he can get it of his fellow man. If he lacks religion, uh, he can have it by going to God. But if he lacks common sense, he has nowhere to go. And I, I kind of see that in the Christian community. Uh, but this remark has it... In more wit than truth. Uh, common sense has its root idea and the ability to discover the harmony in things at which we agree and then to perceive unlikeness and opposites. But to a man devoid of common sense, there would be no difference between um, the religion of Christ, between the law of Moses and the gospel of Christ, between Catholicism and any form of Protestantism. Um, Equally hidden from him would be the truth in all these in every one of these systems, but uh, he would not be able to really kind of distinguish truth from error. And I think that's what we see in the Christian community today is that they just really don't have a right understanding of biblical scripture. And I think all of us struggle with that, myself included. Um, but he may get himself entirely to the study of philosophy that he will almost cease to have an understanding of events of life and be, you know, kind of incompetent to decide between one thing and another. Another thing we'll look at, if we're speaking of the interpretation of law or the study of medicine, no one would call and question our position, okay? A lot of times that doesn't happen. We just trust our doctors or our, our lawyers. We don't question... Uh, what it is their interpretation of law is. Uh, these uh, lurks the suspicion of like a less or real knowledge, and then more of a speculative qualities of mind, uh, the more likely you are to arrive at the meaning of the Bible. But they forget that God gave this book to the common people and that he filled it with the experiences of men and that it was the writers have spoken in a language in which plain people can easily understand. It is a book to constantly show us dangers on one hand and a way of safety on the other. So in this book, we are constantly dealing with things in which the way of truth is made plain by its contrast with the works of darkness. So hence... um, the more the student will study plain questions and knows men as they are, the more likely he will be able to understand the Word of God. And to kind of look at that, it'd be faith and inspiration will help the student understand the Bible. 
which is very true, and I kind of want to touch on that because I think it's important that we understand the... How do I put this to make it sound right? It's not meant to say unbelievers cannot know anything of the claims of the Word of God, but that they may know many things respecting the Bible. The Jews who did not believe in the divinity of Christ understood many things respecting his claims. So, if an unbeliever could not know such things, he would not be responsible. The ability unbelievers possess to investigate these subjects is the measure of their responsibility before God. So, to receive a letter and believe it to be from someone else who sent it to deceive would not likely benefit the receiver. It might be one of the like importances, and yet in a few hours he would know little, if any, of its contents. So it is with the Bible. Uh, if he's not in sympathy with it, in no way is he prepared to understand it. Uh, mental industry is essential to any proper investigation. So the, the disciples, who did not always understand the parables of the Savior, went to him afterwards and inquired about those meanings. So it was their investigating spirit that really made it possible for them to learn the deep things of the Master. Uh, the Bereans are praised for their disposition of mind, Acts 17, 11-12. Now these were more noble than those in Thessalonica, that they received the word with all readiness of mind, examining the scriptures daily, whether these things were so. Many of them before therefore believed, and also of the Greek women of honorable estate, and of men not a few. So there is no essential difference between the study of scriptures and the study of any other subject respecting the mental outlay that's really necessary for that to take place. Uh, with all the advantages given uh, Timothy through early instruction from his mother and grandmother and the assistance of the Apostle Paul was necessary for him to study and to show himself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly setting forth the word of truth, Second Timothy 2.15. So, really, there can be no substitute for mental industry. We have to apply the mind and the heart or not know the things of God. It's very simple. A desire to know and do the truth is necessary, especially when you partake in hermeneutics or just any type of interpretation as far as the Bible goes. The most careless and different, and different may learn something about the Word of God. But they are not likely to learn much, uh, nor learn anything very well. The soil must be um, healthful for seed, and or little is accomplished by sowing. So if we're, if we're not rooted in the Word, we're not going to be able to sow much from that. There are men for whom the gospel of Christ has no more charm than pearls have for swine. Uh, there has to be good ground, such as have an honest and good heart. Having heard the word, hold it fast, bring forth fruit with patience, Luke 8.15. It really is the willingness to do the will of God that prepares the mind for the effort which is necessary to understand the law of the Lord. So in Acts 13.48, we have a picture. The Gentiles who glorified the word of the Lord and were ordained to eternal life believed and those who were opposed remained in unbelief. Men can find what they look for, but what they do not want to see, it is difficult to make them understand, which is so true. I, I've met with so many different kind of Christians that 
It's really hard to convert a Christian who's already in some kind of understanding. It's almost better to get a blank slate. Uh, if there be not a good and honest heart, there will be little fruit from the sowing. Now, let's talk about biblical interpretation. The mind must be in rapport with the teaching to be received. So, further, indisposition not only prevents the examination necessary to thorough knowledge, but it uh, fences against the pure word of God. So there are those who see really in every remark something unchastened. Uh, they can find double meanings in anything said. They misinterpret actions in the same way. To them, every word and act seen or heard is promoted by ulterior motives. But the world is a mirror in which they see themselves as they attribute their own motives to the acts of others, to the evil. All things are evil. The truth is put within their reach, which, if they would lay a hold of it, would lift them up for a better condition, okay? So is it possible for men to become so gross as to be removed even from the possibilities of faith? Well, for the time will come when they will not endure the sound doctrine but have itching ears, will heap to, to themselves teachers after their own lusts, and will turn away from their ears from the truth and turn aside unto fables. Second Timothy chapter 4 verses 3 through 4. So then we see ye Ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you do always resist the Holy Ghost, as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did not your fathers persecute? And they killed them, which showed off the coming of righteous one, of whom ye have now become betrayers and murderers. Ye who received the law as it was ordained by angels and kept it not. Acts chapter 7. Um, that is verse 51 through 53. So, uh, really, here is both the teaching and the living picture of the ability to harden the heart against the truth until the soil of the soul is utterly destroyed. And unto them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, which saith, By hearing ye shall hear, and shall in no wise understand, and seeing ye shall see, and shall in no wise perceive. For this people's heart is waxed gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes have closed, lest happily they should perceive with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and should turn again, and I should heal them. Matthew 13, verse 14 through 15. Excuse me. So, this language cannot be mistaken. The reason they were not saved was they had not turned to God. The reason they had not turned was they did not understand with heart. The reason they did not understand with the heart was that wickedness prevented them from considering the claims of Christ in any proper way. And then shall be revealed the lawless one whom the Lord Jesus shall slay with the breath of his mouth and bring not, and bring to naught by the manifestation of his coming even he whose coming is according to the working of Satan, Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders and with all deceit of unrighteousness for them that are perishing because they receive not the love of truth that they might be saved. And for this cause God sendeth them a working of error that they should believe a lie that they all might be judged who believed not the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. 
Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 8 through 12. So these persons were perishing because they believed a lie, not the truth. This they did because they did not receive the love of the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. And really, we see. I think I think it's 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 hard for Christians to understand because they would not have the truth, but God turned them over to falsehoods, which they preferred those falsehoods. So it's possible for those who have once known the truth to fall so far away that they cannot be renewed again to repentance. Hebrews chapter six, verse one through six. So there are carnal-minded church members who are too gross in their hearts to know the height and breadth and the length and depth of the riches and beauty, glory, revelation for which God has made to us. And in making it to us, at first a humble, willing heart, a good and honest that will be easily instructed in the way of life in Christ. Those eyes are best adjusted to the divine light and, and really, therefore, better understand both truth and and him who taught it. So, how do we get a good hermeneutics? Well, correct translation is really conductive to a reliable exegesis. This is true of 99 out of 100 Bible students. They're almost always wholly dependent on that translation to learn what has been said to us by the Lord. The issue of modern versions is a controversial theme. It's fraught with emotion, more heat than light, and in many instances, Extremism is a characteristic of religious issues, and then the translation matter is no exception to this rule, really. There are those who do not hesitate to promote virtually anything that sails under their name Bible. At the opposite extreme, a few critics um, would align or allege that any of the versions save the King James smells of liberalism. Some have been taken to extreme position that a use of a particular Bible should be made a test of a Christian fellowship. And that's really an extremely faulty viewpoint. A translation is simply the rendition of the original biblical text, Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek, into one's native language. Everyone, unless he reads the biblical language, is dependent upon a translation. Further, the word modern is obviously a relative term. A Septuagint in the 3rd century BC was a modern version compared to the Hebrew text of the Old Testament. When the KJV was published in 1611, it was bitterly criticized as well. Rightly so in some respects. For instance, it contained the Apocrypha between the two Testaments. Over the past three and a half centuries, the KJV has undergone so many revisions that the edition of our day differs from the 1611 in hundreds of particulars um, through the general content of the course. It's basically the same. And then the English Revised Version came along, the ERV, and its American cousin, the American Standard Version, were issued in 1881 and 1901, respectively. They were quite... Uh, enthusiastically received so the ERV and the ASV were not without a few critics though the most vocal of whom was uh, John Bergon Bergon contended that the Greek text from which these versions were made was corrupt his views however were not widely accepted in our scholarly circles or seminary circles and so no translation can be dimmed merely on ground of its modernity but it must stand or fall on the basis of its internal merit. Since none of the original autographs, the actual manuscripts penned by the inspired men, 
of the Bible exists today, really one of the matters of prime importance is the establishment of reliable texts from a good translation can be made. Regarding this, various schools uh, of thought are sharply divided. The points of diversion are far too technical for discussion here, but um, it will suffice to say that the majority of competent scholars uh, believe that the most reliable way of determining the best Greek text is by means of critical method. By this procedure, the scholar would compare the ancient Greek manuscripts, uh, early translations of the scriptures, quotations from the early church fathers, and the internal evidence, and thus really kind of attempt to restore um, as close as possible to the original New Testament documents. But this method assumes uh, that the other factors being equal, the earliest sources where there has been less copying are probably the most dependable. So the procedure is commonly followed in the restoration of secular writings of antiquity. On the other hand, a small group of scholars in uh, kind of a staunch opposition to the construction of critical texts, some of them argue for that return of the textus receptus, a Latin term meaning the received text, first appearing in the text of 1633. So that textual basis is a small group of mm, minuscule manuscripts in about a dozen places. It's reading is supposed to. It is supported by known Greek manuscripts. So others uh, champion what they call the majority text. One thus determines the best Greek by counting manuscripts, the text which is supported by the most manuscripts, even though they may date quite late is alleged to mere nearly reflect the original um and those are just some of the ways that we see that there are other important concerns for which are a part of every translation effort some consideration should be given to that translator's you know theological stance what is the attitude towards scripture um the translators of the kjv had a very high regard for the divine origin of the bible and for the most part, so did the men who labored on the ERB and the ASV. By way of contrast, some of those versions of recent years have been dominated by theological liberals. For example, according to translator Henry J. Cadbury, all nine members of the Revised Standard Version, New Testament Translation Committee, were of the liberal wing of scholarship. There's another point of special importance. It is one might call philosophy of translation. And that was that this was the disposition of those who produced the KJV and the ERV ASV and also the New American Standard Bible to a certain extent. The ASV translator stated that their aim was to bring the plain reader more closely into contact with the exact thought of the sacred writers. Um, and, and this just kind of created all kinds of issues. Uh, and, an example, whenever the translator feels... A little rendition is adequate. He will choose his own language to tell his reader what he feels the Greek text means. In effect, he becomes more of a commentator than a translator. D.R. Carson, defended uh, a defender of the D.E. method, admitted that this attitude can lead to all sorts of freedoms with respect to translation. Uh, he further conceded that it is no doubt true that the closer one stands to the loose end of the FEDE spectrum, the greater chances are for the subjective bias. Um, 
I don't really want to dig too much into that. You guys can look into those, you know, those translation issues. I, I stick to the ASV. It's 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 really up for your interpretation. I think ASV is closest to the Greek, so that's why I like it. Um, but it must be realized, of course, that an absolute literal word-for-word Bible translation is an impossibility for a number of reasons. In the first place, the word order of the Greek New Testament is frequently quite alien to the mode of our English expression. And then you could also consider Paul's statement in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 8-9 through 9, as it reads literally in the Greek, I shall remain but in Ephesus until the Pentecost door for to me has been open great and effective and opponents many second sometimes the literal translation of greek word would make no sense to an english reader which is true and third it's not always possible to translate the same greek word uniformly in all its occurrences and so when the body of judas fell he burst asunder in the midst and all his bowels gushed out acts 118 since it's known however the greeks used that same word for the seat of emotions it is best to render Philippians 1 8 as I long after you all with the affection of Christ Jesus rather than in the bowels of Christ. Um, so again, it just goes back to we have to have a good translation. A general and thorough education is of great value in the interpretation of the Word of God. That's why I always tell everyone, highly recommend that you go to seminary school or some form of Bible school. Learning cannot take place of good common sense and certainly not of a true heart and spiritual uh, purity so greatly needed to understand the things given to us of God, okay? So that can't take the place of, of good common sense. You need to have good common sense. There's an idea that learning is destructive of spirituality. I know of no evidence supporting that view. Instead, of learning standing in the way of faith and piety, it greatly aids it. The man of knowledge may lose his respect for many of the traditions of the fathers, but his faith in God and his word will not be injured. Really, there is just a, a mental drill in the attainment of knowledge that will assist you in preparing for the effort to uh, necessarily and to complete an investigation of the scriptures. I would begin my recommendations with the knowledge of one's language. With us, the English language is a great medium of knowledge. Uh, most readers of the Bible entirely dependent upon the English Bible and are all more or less dependent upon it exactly. Uh, so learn some of the original language. A knowledge of the original languages in which the scriptures were written would be of great assistance in getting an accurate acquaintance with the Bible. This is true in the reading of any work of merit. The propositions made to men are to be understood by the rules of logic. There is really no more direct assertion found in the scriptures anywhere than in the teaching of the master. He ever spoke as one having authority, yet the strictest and closest logic is constantly observed. And, and really especially true in, in, in his many encounters with the Pharisees and Sadducees. So take all the conversations at Jerusalem and during that last feast the master attended and his parables are full of logic. Um, it's just, it's, it's amazing. The apostolic speeches and writings are full of logic. If one is in need of knowledge of logic in order to comprehend the greatest speeches, he will equally need that drill before undertaking uh analyzing the epistles a good knowledge of 
history will greatly aid in the study of the scriptures. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John wrote for those who were well acquainted with the facts. They did not stop to explain many things which cannot be understood, except as we study history, we come into possession of all the facts before their minds in the time they wrote these accounts. A good knowledge of the lands of the Bible render many things plain. Every student of Scripture ought to, therefore, to become familiar with all the lands mentioned in the Bible. One should become as thoroughly acquainted as possible with the customs of the people. We should expect to understand the Bible. The Bible is regarded by many as a sealed book. The ability to read it as any other book and understand it by reading it is supposed to belong to unaided mortals. There are those who regard the Scriptures as a mystery not to be understood by the common mind. It is necessary to quote some passages. The scriptures which teach Timothy knew in his childhood were the Old Testament. These two, as many were filled in Christ, were sufficient to the perfect, the man of God, filling him with all need of truth. It is evident, really, that the most difficult things presented to the world, those which were more mysterious than any form, former revelation, were to be read and understood by the whole church. Paul was commissioned to make all men see this mystery as he did. So we need to remove the fog of superstition that has prevented so many proper investigation of the scriptures that all may know their rights to search the volume themselves and that they may understand it. All should be made to realize that they are responsible for their arrogance and their ignorance. God has made a revelation of his will to us, and if we do not avail ourselves of the privilege of reading it and knowing its contents, it is our own fault. Under such circumstances, ignorance is a sin against God and ourselves. And uh, next week we will touch on things which hinder correct interpretation of the scriptures. We're going to look at what hinders us from getting a right interpretation. I want to thank you for listening to the podcast. Hopefully you guys can support the podcast uh, by giving a donation. We will use that correctly to provide more equipment for the podcast, uh, help us to seek other pastors to come on to the show, uh, go out and uh, help us travel to seek guests to come on and speak with a lot of different Christians around the world and hopefully uh, deliver the gospel to those Christians that need to hear it.